Welcome back to the Hair of the Dog podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Bagley, and today I have quite a treat for you. Gosh, I feel like I say that every time, but it's true. I mean, it's true every time. Today, I have Corinda Kinsler with us, and she is an incredible equine photographer based in Houston, Texas. We're going to be talking all things success from Oh, my favorite, her favorite too, mindset, but also building that value in your business and how you can start to attract those clients that are going to pay great money to work with you, how to get over these upper limiting beliefs uh, that you have in yourself for money and for asking for money and for building this business. And we're going to be talking about her start to her business and how she photographed 365 horses in one year. Um, I don't know if you just did the math, but 365 horses, 365 days, that's a lot of photography. And uh, so we're going to be touching on that a little bit too. So anyway, you're going to love it. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Hair of the Dog podcast. If you're a pet photographer ready to make more money and start living a life by your design, you've come to the right place. And now, your host, pet photographer, travel addict, chocolate martini connoisseur, Nicole Begley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hair of the Dog podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Begley. And today, we have oh, a horse guest with us. She's not just horses anymore. She's doing all of the things. Um, you guys might have heard of her. Corinda Kinsler from Corinda K Photography from what, part of Texas Montgomery. Is that around Houston? Yes. Okay. From Houston, Texas. Corinda, welcome. Yes. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. Me too. I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah. And talk about all of the things <laughs> because, yeah, you've built quite an incredible business. And so I just want to dive into that. Why don't you give us just a little bit of background first? Like, how long have you been in business? Well, actually, maybe start with what your business is now. So tell us a little bit about what your business is now. And then we'll then yeah. we'll hit that time machine. <laughs> so now I am solely an equine photographer. Um, I've been in business for 10 years. And I actually started out... When I first started out, I actually photographed livestock. That's how I really got my start was really? working for a livestock photographer that did all the big shows. And I actually interned... For them in college, he saw me playing with a camera on Facebook and was like, you're kind of good at this. Do you want to come work for us? And I was like, sure, why not? I don't know what else I'm going to do. I'm about to graduate. <laughs> I don't know. And so I went and worked for them. And I was like, this is not very fun to not get paid very much and work for 10 hours and moo at cows to get their ears up all day. <laughs> um, and I was like, I think I can make my own business. And um, my business was born. I love it. I, I'm I'm sensing a like a little offshoot cow photography 101. (laughs) Do you have to do like the same tricks for horses to get like cows ears up? Um, I actually think cows are easier to get their ears up. You can just literally (laughs) moo with them. They're like, and they just put their ears up. A horse is much more complicated. (laughs) They are. They are. They're they're much more. uh, Yeah. (laughs) They're extra. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As my daughter would say. Um, yeah. Awesome. 10 years. So you started probably about the same time I did. I started my business in 2010, which mm-hmm. seems like yesterday, but also seems like an eternity ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy how much has changed in the 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like just even something as simple as Facebook, like it's changed so much and you have to continually learn all these new things. Right. So it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right. So tell us a little bit more. Like, let's go back into the Corinda time machine, back to after the cows. How did you start your business? Did you start with horses or you used to do other genres, right? Yeah. So what I did was I was working at a barn at the time as a working student and I had a lot of free time and I dug up this old camera that was in my mom's closet. And I started taking portraits of the horses at the barn while I was kind of in between tasks to do. And I started taking these photos. Like, I like this. I really love this. And um, that's when the livestock photographer, the owner of the company, contacted me. He was like, You should come work for us. And then when I started my business, I did what everyone else does. Right. I was well, like, we, think, we think we're like, oh, there's no right. way I can make a business just with horses. I did the same. Dogs. I started and I was like, oh, I can't make it just with dogs. And I do some horses too, but it's been mainly dogs. So I'll do families. Yeah. <laughs> so I did weddings. A wedding fell into my lap. My husband worked at a wedding venue in high school, knew the yeah. ladies at the venue really well. And someone was getting married there and they were on a really tight budget. And they said, Corinda... Um, we saw the pictures you took at your sister's wedding. Can you come do this wedding? She's literally going to have disposable cameras. And I was like, okay, I have to learn how to be a wedding photographer overnight. And I like watched all the creative lives I could find to watch. And I like did all this learning. And that was my first wedding in my first couple of months business. And, um, for five years, the first half of my business, I did weddings. And then I eventually started doing newborns as well. Um, we built a newborn photography studio on our property and I was a newborn and wedding photographer. Oh my gosh. Those are like the two drawners that are like anything, but, (laughs) yeah. Uh (laughs) and you know, I kind of became a newborn photographer because I was in a coaching program, Uh a business coaching program with a lot of newborn photographers. And it just kind of naturally happened that they all did it. So I just started doing it. Right, right. Um, you know, it was nice. It hurt your back so bad, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I I did newborns for a hot minute. Although I never really did. I attempted some pose stuff. You know, once you're learning, like, oh, this is how this actually happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was more, I didn't have the patience to, like, wait till they fell asleep. So you could really, like, do all that stuff. I'm like, no. So I did some lifestyle newborn. But even that, I was just like, oh, no. And I have two kids, but I'm not like a, I'm not like a newborn whisperer, um, <laughs> other people's babies. I'm like, okay, that's cute. Where's your dog? <laughs> yeah. And you know, the funny, I joke and I say that I, I learned so much from being a newborn photographer because I learned patience. Oh, uh-huh. You know, I learned how to be patient and I learned how to wait. And there is not a single horse or dog in this world that can fray my nerves because when you're sitting in a newborn session waiting sometimes an hour and a half, two hours to get this baby to fall asleep so you can take up one photo of them, (laughs) right? You really learn to be patient. So when horses are antsy or dogs don't want anything to do with me, I'm just like, okay, I'll wait all day. Yeah, no right. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I definitely find that I have so much more patience with animals than really anything else. Like, uh, I even had in Pittsburgh, I need an assistant. So, uh, somebody that I knew that was a newborn, you know, family photographer came to help me, you know, and I'm setting the dog up for maybe the 15th, 20th time of like, all right, let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try again. And, uh, She's just like, oh my God, how do you have the patience for this? I'm like, I don't know. How do you photograph newborns? Like, this is why we all work. I could do yeah. this all day. Mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right. So you did weddings, you did newborns. 
Yeah. How long until you're like, wait, but I really so, love those horses. This is the fun part. And this is where you realize how insane I am. I was running two separate brands. I had two For the websites. weddings and the newborns? Mm-hmm. Two websites, two social media pages, separate uh, Facebooks, separate uh-huh. Instagrams. I did that mistake too. It was I exhausting. Woke up, <laughs> I woke up and I said, I went to Kentucky. I was staying in a hotel. I was driving around Kentucky, went back to my hotel and said, what the heck am I doing? Why am I not photographing horses? This is what I started doing. And I stayed up all night and I built my third brand. (laughs) (laughs) So I built my third brand, literally built the website, started the social media pages. I like sat up all night blogging content from all of the things I'd been doing in Kentucky and um, started it all. Then the next day, I went and met up with a random person that I had known on Facebook. I was like, Uh I'd love to come see your farm and meet you in person. Went to her farm. And I sat down in her office and we were chatting. And I said, yeah, I have this really crazy idea. I want to photograph 365 horses in the next year. And she just looked at me. so (laughs) many. She looked at me and she was like, okay, cool. And I was like, yeah, I'm starting an equine photography brand. And this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I'm going to do 365 horses. And then that night I went back to the hotel and 365 Days of Horses was born. And that started me on the path that I'm on today, which is why most people are confused by this. But my Instagram is 365 Days of Horses. And it's because I did a project called 365 Days of Horses. And that's really what built my equine photography brand. I love it. Did you please tell me you batched the shoots? Were you shooting every day? No, I wasn't shooting every day. So like (laughs) I went, um, I traveled all over the place to do these sessions and I would, I had an application, people applied and I would choose areas that I had a lot of applications in that had really great stories. Um, And I would find areas to go to. I went to Kentucky and did like 60 horses in Kentucky in a week. So it was definitely batching, finding groups of areas where I could do a lot of horses at one time right? um, and then get it all done. That's fantastic. I think this is a great point that I want to stop here for a second. And you said this is what built your business. Mm -hmm. Because I see so many people that are struggling to build their business, struggling to build their business. And I'm like, you just need to get out and start shooting. You Mm -hmm. need to get people in front of your camera, uh, however you can at this point. And then then that starts to build some momentum. And then right. you're able to start attracting the people that are like paying you from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, then it becomes this full-fledged business. Yeah. So, and I, yeah. I think like, I always say it's like a roller coaster, right? You're on a roller coaster. Uh-huh. And right now you're at the very bottom of the roller coaster and you're like tugging on a rope, trying uh-huh. to pull yourself up to the top. And then you get to the top and all of a sudden things start to work. And then you get like really busy and then all the pieces fall into place and then you get lazy. <sighs> Then right. you end back up at the bottom, right? And then you kind of have to climb your way up to the top. Um, that's kind of that phase that I was in. I was climbing to the top and I was trying to get there. Um, and the other thing that I really noticed in that climb to the top for a lot of people is that the urge to just like do it all for free and uh-huh. not make money. And I think that there's such a smart way to make uh-huh. money while climbing to the top. Uh-huh. You don't have to give away your sessions. You don't have to give away your images for free. You can sell art. You can sell albums. You can do all of the things, even when you're literally dragging people through your door in the beginning. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I think so much of it, just actually, just recently, I had Denise Duffield Thomas on the podcast and we were talking about this, about the challenge that so many people have of this mindset of, I don't deserve to be paid for something that's fun. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, like, 
work's supposed to be hard. Like we have these stories, society driven, and who knows what our, uh, you know, stories from our home from growing up or what we experienced as a kid. And you, you have this like guilt for having a job that you love, but there's no rule out there that says you can't enjoy your job. I think that's actually the point of life. (laughs) I think there's that. And honestly, the other thing I hear at this phase of business building from people is I'm just starting out. I Mm. can't charge those prices. Mm -hmm. Right. You feel like because you were just starting out, you can't go justify selling a three or $4,000 piece of wall art. But in Mm -hmm. all reality, you can. Your clients don't know. This might be a really horrible thing to say, but your clients don't know if your pictures are perfectly composed or crisp and in focus, right? or if they're totally horrible and you edited them so badly, they look like dead people because their skin is blue. Like your <laughs> clients don't know. They just see a picture of themselves with their dog or a cute picture uh-huh. of their dog, right? Yep. Um, yep. So I think that's really important to remember is like, even when you're growing, you can still offer art, you can still sell things, you can still provide this amazing experience and make money. It just means that you might sell smaller art because maybe they don't want a 60 inch where their skin mm-hmm. is not quite the right color. Um, or maybe they're not going to love like 40 images and want to buy an album. Maybe right. they only love 10, right? But you can still charge well for those. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I look back, <laughs> I look back at some of my early years. I'm like, oh my God. I like, I feel like I need to reach out to those clients, be like, I'm real, I'm, I'm really sorry because <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> and oh, um, yeah. And it is true because I actually started like everybody else. Uh, I started with the, oh, wait a minute. I make like $35,000 a year in my current job as a zoological animal trainer and, um, which is like nothing. And, uh, if I became a photographer and I did a session and I charged $75, maybe even 150 for the session mm-hmm. and I gave them all the digitals. I'm only working for an hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and so I'm making $150 an hour. Oh my God. I'm mm-hmm. going to make so much money. And yeah, I quickly realized that that's not actually the case. <laughs> yeah, and, I think yeah. I think back to those days. I remember that, and I remember like doing my first price list and pricing out an eight by ten for like thirty five dollars, and I <laughs> thought that was insane. And now my eight by tens are a hundred and ninety five dollars. Right, right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, me ten years ago would have like laughed in my face. Right. But now I'm like, well dang, it takes like so much money to run this business. I had Mm -hmm. no idea how many subscriptions and Mm -hmm. monthly payments and how much all of these things would add up to one day. You just can't really fathom what really goes into it when you're in the beginning. Right. For sure. Yeah. I I think one of the challenges that people see is they they're at that beginning, right. And they're looking at, you know, people that have been in business for a long time and have these higher level prices. And they're thinking, you know, I'm not good enough to get there. I'm never going to get there. I can never charge this in this market. The whole list of things, mm-hmm. which how have you found like the best way to help people start to get over that? I tend to see people like starting to, you know, if they can see mm-hmm. that somebody else has done it. So it's like, oh, somebody else had a $5,000 sale in a market like mine mm-hmm. or like when they make that first incremental sale. So do you recommend that people like start to incrementally raise their prices as they get a little bit more comfortable and like believe that, Oh my, yeah, I can do this. Or are you like a rip the bandaid off kind of person? that's like, jack them up, get them up there now. (laughs) (laughs) So here's how, here's my process in this. And here's kind of how I do it. 
you have to figure out what you want to make in your pocket. Not right now, not two years from now, not three years from now, like five years down the road when you're running your business full time, you're Mm -hmm. living the life you love. You have to know what that looks like. And the reason is, I really think if you don't know the end of what I really need a few years down the road when I'm doing this full time, living the life I want, going on vacations, Mm -hmm. buying new cars, doing whatever it is I want to do for my family and my life. If we don't know what that number is here, then what happens is we're creating numbers every year that are kind of just meh, not really with purpose. Mm -hmm. And every year we're looking at our numbers and saying, I didn't make enough money. I need to revise. I didn't make enough money. I need to revise. I didn't make enough money. I need to revise. Whereas if you reverse engineer this and you start at the end goal and you say, I need to get to this end goal to do all the things. And you set up your entire business around this end goal, even if you're at the very beginning, then you don't have to reinvent the wheel every year trying to get Mm -hmm. there. You can just get better. You get better at selling albums. You get better at producing quality images. So you sell bigger art, but you don't have to change things constantly. And you know, I do understand like if I tell some people like go charge $195 for an 8 by 10 it's going to be really out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I had a conversation with um, one of my coaching clients the other day and she goes, I, saw, I had one sale that was really good and then I had another sale that was going to meh. And I was like, what do you have your 8x10s at? And she told me and I said, didn't I recommend like 145 for your 8x10s? And she goes, yeah, but I was really scared to do it. And she goes, but now I recognize I need to do it. And I said, go back to your last year. Add up how many 8x10s you sold. Mm. If you would have sold them for what I recommended, how much more money would you have made? And she goes, oh, man, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And the other thing that happens when you do it the way you recommended there is when you're raising your prices every year, you know, maybe the clients you had that first year, they're not going to follow you when you have like a $500 average to all of a sudden you have like a $5,000 average. But if you're starting those prices out, you know, with at least a multiple thousand dollar average as your goal, those clients and those recommendations or referrals you get from those clients will continue to stick with your business. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're going from like, oh, I'm shooting burn. Oh, now I'm products. Oh, now I need to raise these products. Oh, I need to raise these products again. You're basically finding a whole new client every time. (laughs) You you know, I think you are going to lose some of your clients, but it doesn't mean you're going to lose everyone. And I can think of two examples just off the top of my head. Um, I had a girl who went from shoot and burn to IPS full on. Mm -hmm. I think it was her first or second client. It could have been her second. She, they were a shoot and burn client, booked on shoot and burn, got all their digital files. Yep. She did a reveal with them. Guess how much money they spent at their reveal, even though oh. they had all their digitals? Tell me. $14,000. Oh my God. <laughs> $14,000. And she was like, holy smokes. Like, is this real life? Did this really happen? Right. And um, so that's kind of one example, like you can still sell things and you can still transition your current shoot and burn clients over to IPS and they will still spend money. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is you will lose some of your shoot and burn clients that came back to you, but there's a chance your shoot and burn clients that maybe spent $250. um, One of my girls, she had a shoot and burn client that was $250 and they did portraits a few years ago. Yeah. They came back for one of their kids' senior portraits and they spent like $4,500. Right. So there is a chance you might keep some of them and they also might go, man, I wish you would have done this before. Uh Uh-huh. 
Yeah. I think so many people get in their head of so worried about what other people are going to think about them and what their prices will cause people to think about them. Usually it's with whatever they are thinking. They're, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not reflecting, projecting. They're projecting their thoughts about people that charge a lot of money based on what other people, they think other people will think about them. But I mean, in reality, we're doing such a service for our potential clients that, yeah, it's not the right fit. The boutique business with the products and the high-end service and the higher price tag isn't the right fit for everybody. And that's fine. You know, Ruth's Chris isn't the right fit for everybody. Sometimes you want McDonald's. But when you're able to... Oh, I totally lost my train of thought here. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Oh, um, I totally lost my train of thought there. So if this entry back from wherever Corinda just finished doesn't make sense, that's 100% why. So we're jumping back into this about <laughs> um, moving from the shoot and burn to that high end. And oh, gosh, now I remember. Now I remember what I was going to say. And it truly is such an incredible service that we're offering our clients that um, the, the, the people that are spending that money are not, they're not judging us for that price. They are excited to invest in this because they are finding a tremendous amount of value in it. Um, and one of the things I make everybody do, I, I, I've probably said this exercise 37 times on the podcast, but I'm going to say it again. And that is, if you are looking at your pricing and feeling like Oh my God, people are going to judge me. People are think I'm going to greedy. I'm just trying to like get one over on them. You know, whatever you're projecting that they're thinking about you, I want you to kind of flip that to a time when you were purchasing something that you were maybe really excited about, no matter what the price point, but especially if that was a little bit of a splurge, maybe it was a vacation, maybe it was a meal, maybe it was clothes, maybe it was a purse, maybe it was a horse, whatever. Um, I want you to remember like what it felt like to spend that money, what it felt like when you were finding out the details about it. Like when you go to a nice restaurant and then your bill comes and it's like $200 for two of you and a nice night out. Are you like looking at that server that brought you the bill and are like, can't believe you charge this. Like, no, you knew what the prices were. You went and you were excited about it and you hopefully had a wonderful experience. So our clients feel the same. Yeah. That was my tangent. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I always say you want to be like the Louis Vuitton store. You want your portraits to be like the one purse on the shelf with the lights. And when you walk into the store, you want to be offered champagne and asked how your day was and catered to. Mm -hmm. Right. And if we strive to be like that, as opposed to going and scrounging through the racks at like, Ross or something, right, you know? right. like that's what we are trying to do. That's yeah. in its simplest form, and it's so valuable to like recognize, like, oh, that's the goal here. Uh huh. That's the goal. And the there are so many people that will gladly pay for that extra service. And yeah. I'm sure that all of us have that in our life too, of certain places that we do like to pay for that extra service, and maybe other places that we don't. Yeah. So. You know, there's going to be things in our life, like purses for me, like not a chance. Like right. I don't even carry a purse, but actually just had to order a new car because my car is like almost 15 years old. Um, and it's one of the key fobs. And I'm like, 
damn it, I'm just going to have to get a purse <laughs> because I'm, I'm just going to lose this all the time. <laughs> um, and, you know, and where I will definitely splurge on a horse or traveling or dining, but, you know, other things, not so much. Right. Uh, like clothes, no, I'm not going to buy any clothes. It's like Target I, or Costco. <laughs> I think the thing about the reason I like the Louis Vuitton analogy is because there are people that will walk past the Louis Vuitton store mm-hmm. and they'll stare at that person and go, I want that. And they will literally like just be in awe and be enamored with the idea of having this, mm-hmm. right? And they will save their pennies to go buy that purse, even if they are not traditionally the person that could walk in the store and just here's my credit card to buy it. Mm-hmm. And the same thing can apply for us and our clients. We can have clients that save their pennies because we have built ourselves up to be that purse on the shelf that they have been just lusting over for so long. Mm-hmm. And we can also have the clients that just walk in the store because they walked by and saw it and we're like, here, swipe my credit card. We right. can have both of those people. And they're not the same person, but we have both of those people by building value in what we do for our clients. Yeah. Yeah. I think so many people get hung up. They hear that build value and they're just like, Oh my God, but how? And it's, it's really, I mean, just kind of what we're, we're talking about of having a beautiful product of having service of going through your process and trying to determine like, all right, where can I make this easier for my client? Where can I make this feel more luxurious? Where can I serve them better? Like, how can I make it easier for them? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really it. And then being able to take that and showcase it on your website or in your marketing yeah. of being able to just be able to speak to that difference of, hey, like, I'm going to take care of you throughout this whole process. Yeah. And what we're going to create together, you're going to love for a lifetime and it's high quality and XYZ. So I think a lot of people make that building value way too complicated. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's, it's about solving the problems before they even know, mm-hmm. telling them you're going to solve their problems before they even think about the problem, before your client has a chance to say, I'm worried I'm going to look fat in my portraits, you're already saying, don't worry, you're going to look great. Before mm-hmm. your client's telling you, I don't know what to wear, you're saying, don't worry, I got gotcha. you. Before your client says, my dog's an idiot, I don't think he's going to behave, you're already saying, don't worry, all the dogs are idiots. I got uh-huh. you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then they can approach it so much more excited and relaxed. And then that experience is at a higher Uh, a higher value level for them. Like they enjoy it even more. So when they then sit down for your ordering appointment later on, like they already have all this positive association and then the icing on the cake is here. These beautiful images. I mean, done. (laughs) I think they love it. An interesting thing that I've had clients say to me before is like, okay, now when I get to the pricing part of my info call, they're like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to hear about the price. And they're like, I know it's going to be an investment because I know you do all of these things and it, it's probably going to be so expensive. I can't afford it, but hopefully I can figure it out. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I've built the value before they got here. They yeah. know they're going to spend a lot of money here before uh-huh. they even pick up the phone and talk to me, which is a cool feeling to have. Absolutely. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, one of the things I want to touch on because I love talking about mindset. Are there any potential mindset shifts that you remember going through that helped you up-level your business? Oh, yeah. So my mindset journey has been an interesting one. Um, I was driving to the barn one day 
And I literally remember where I was at on the road. I'm driving to the barn. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? My clients spending money with me freaks me out. The thought of them swiping a credit card scares me. Maybe I need to fix this. Maybe there's a solution. And I literally got to the barn, pulled out my phone, searched money mindset coach. And I contacted the first person that um, pulled up on Google, Uh set up a phone call. And I talked to her and I was like, I am so screwed up. My parents, my childhood, everything about my life has screwed me up. (laughs) (laughs) And I began to realize like I had all of these thoughts and these feelings and these insecurities about money. And what they were doing was it was boiling down to at my reveal when I was asking for Uh money. It made me so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And when I talked about my pricing from the info call to the planning call or whatever part it might have been, I was always scared to say my prices. Uh huh. If I would have said to a client, your total is (laughs) $14,362, I would have been like, your total is 13. I would have like typed it on the computer Uh and like shown it on my phone. I wouldn't even be able to say it. Like slide it across the table like they do in the movies for like a little secret offer. (laughs) I know. I'm like, okay, it'll be $14,362. How would you like to pay? You want to swipe your Amex card? Okay, great by me. And Actually, for a long time, when I did weddings and newborns, I didn't take credit cards. I only took cash and checks. Really? And I think it was my way of subconsciously feeling like if someone was paying with a credit card, they were going into debt for me and it was going to ruin their life. Mm-hmm. And I think recognizing like when you talk about money, if you recognize resistance, yes. tightness in your chest, your voice changing or just like you avoid the topic in general, Uh that's your sign that you have to fix this because it will sabotage you. Um, The other thing that I've kind of learned on this money mindset, I call it my woo-woo journey, is that we have to accept that we can spend money and we can receive money. Um, And even something as simple as, I'm going to say this, this, people might get mad at me, like Going to Dave Ramsey after I got married, we went to Dave Ramsey class and we yep. learned that we weren't supposed to spend money. We were supposed to save and pay off all of our debt and not have any fun. It felt like right. because every penny had to go to debt. <laughs> right, right. And I had become a bit of this like I was hoarding my hoarding. money mm-hmm. and I was paying off my debts mm-hmm. and I wasn't doing anything fun and I wasn't releasing my money and just knowing it's fine. It's going to come back to me. And dealing with my money mindset has been a blessing and a little bit of a curse sometimes because now I'm like, we went to a furniture store and it's closing down and I love this store and there were all these light fixtures and I've been dying to replace the light fixtures in our house. And I'm like, Uh I'll take that one and that one and Uh that one and that one. And how much is that going to be? Okay, cool. Here's the credit card. Swipe it. I just Uh need to book one more client. Okay. That was $3,000. I just need a $3,000 client. No big deal. (laughs) Right. 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 Yes. Yeah. That's it. That's a huge, uh, a huge one. Um, I'd love to talk about this too. And that resistance, whether it's money mindset or anything else, wherever you're feeling that resistance, like there's something to uncover there. Um, because that's kind of our internal barometer of like, do, 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 you know, there's something here to pay attention to. And I also love the conversation of the flow of money because that's huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all know terrible, sad stories of people that were gone way too young. And it's like, I, I'm not available to like, just work, 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 not enjoy my life until I get to like this, you know, mystical retirement age. And then 
then I'll start having fun. Like, no, no, no. (laughs) That is absolutely not okay for me. (laughs) And on this topic, it is so important for you to go hire other photographers, Mm -hmm. pay them full price, Mm -hmm. buy the products from them. We all know that you can buy the products yourself if they give you the digitals. Don't do that. No, you go, you design wall art with them. You buy the wall art for your house. You do the thing. And sometimes that's going to mean that you go into it thinking you're going to get one piece of art for your wall and you end up spending like quadruple what you thought you were going to spend. But you know what? That's what our clients do. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us to understand that feeling and emotion and to be willing to pour our money uh-huh. into other photographers as well. Yeah. Um, we try to do every year a portrait session with another photographer. And I we go to different photographers. We've gone to Nashville and done portraits of Julie Paisley. We have a pet photographer in Houston we go to almost every year. We went like yeah. every year for a while <laughs> with our dogs. Like we do this and we had maternity portraits done. We have this giant acrylic. Like we spend the money on portraits because yeah. it's important for us to have that experience. Oh man, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Just it, it gives you so much more. Um, it's so much easier to get into the shoes of your potential client because we like to think, oh yeah, I totally know what it would be like to book a session. If you haven't actually done that recently and gone through the process, you really don't know what it's like to like truly be in that and being like, well, wait, what should I wear? And remember, we still know more than your average bear. So like we might be able to figure out our own wardrobe, but like if you're worried about your wardrobe, your client is worried times 10. Yep. So how can we make these things easier and just alleviate these concerns and, and just really build that value that we're going to take care of them? Yes, it's so important. You feel like you remember how awkward it is to be on the other side of the camera too. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Yeah, I actually, I had um, uh, Carrie Allen. She's in Charlotte for branding photography and she is fantastic. I had her do new um, like headshot brand images for me. Uh, Oh, gosh, it's been almost two years. I need to get them done again. She was freaking fantastic of just like, okay, turn your head this way, drop your shoulder, do this or that. Like just directing me through the posing. And man, I think so many photographers are so scared of the directing for the mm-hmm. posing because the same reason they're scared about the money, they're scared of what this person is going to think. But yeah. uh, I'd be more worried about what this person is going to think when they're standing there totally uncomfortable, <laughs> not knowing what they should be doing, than being able to tell them, oh, okay, great. Now turn your thing like this. All right. Okay. Drop that shoulder. Do and Then they're like, oh, okay. And you can make it fun. You know, I always like to tell them too, hey, the more awkward it feels, the better you're going to look. So yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, if you want to like <laughs> learn exactly how awkward it is and it's truest form. Yeah. And also how great people can be at coaching posing. Go book a boudoir session. Oh. Being half naked <laughs> in front of a camera with a stranger. Yeah. You feel real awkward. And then boudoir photographers are so good at posing people because they can't hide things. They can't uh-huh. hide our roles. <laughs> right. I mean, they can Photoshop them, but like you, they have to pose you. You're going to be sore by the time you're done if you're working with a good boudoir photographer. Right. <laughs> so that's a really good experience that I know that was actually my first experience as a client on the side of working with a photographer, paying for portraits, buying art, buying an album was when I was first starting my business, hiring a boudoir photographer. Yeah, And going through the experience as a client early on in my business, I was like, oh, oh yeah, I want to do this for my clients. It was a no brainer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Um, 
All right. I do want to touch on one more thing before we wrap up here. And uh, that is how you built your business on why. Talked about this all the time too. Like I love the why because so many times, because we're already in a niche, right? Whether you're Mm -hmm. equine or dogs or, you know, whatever, you're, you're like, I'm already in a niche. I'm niche down. That's my why. I love dogs. I love horses. But man, there's so much more to it, right? (laughs) There is. And it's such a hard topic. Like it is probably one of the hardest things to teach people to find their why. And this is where my my coaching clients always laugh. And they're like, this is where Corinda becomes the therapist. (laughs) And this is where Corinda makes you cry. Uh And what I always tell people when we talk about this is if you haven't cried when you discuss, whenever you were talking about and figuring Mm. out your why, if you haven't cried about it, it's not your why. You're not there yet. Not deep enough yet. You need to go deeper. And also every time you think you've come up with an answer, ask yourself, why does that matter? Why does that Mm. matter? Why does that matter? I was at a workshop with Julia Kelleher, who's an amazing newborn photographer. And she went through this exercise and she called me out in front of the whole class. And I, she's like, what's your why? And I said, she goes, why does that matter? And I kept answering and she kept saying, why does that matter? And I was like, I don't know why this matters. But when you hit the point of why it really matters, that's when the tears start. That's Uh when you get sappy. And in my kind of the way I like to look at your why, your why is your compass in your business. Mm -hmm. Everything you do, you should say, does this align with my why? Mm -hmm. Does this match my why? Does this speak to my why? Your why is what sets you apart from the com- your competitor next door. Your why is what really makes people book for you. I think that in marketing, they say people don't buy what you do. They buy mm-hmm. why you do it. Mm-hmm. Simon Sinek. Yeah, Nobody great cares. TED Talk. Go watch it, everybody. <laughs> Nobody cares that you take pretty photos. Everyone takes pretty photos. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you can be the best artist in the world. Nobody cares that you're the best artist mm-hmm. in the world. But they care why you do it. They care about the transformation. They care about that journey. They care about that story. And that is so incredibly important. So for me with my why, I look at the questions I ask on my first phone call. I look at the um, what I'm writing in my blogs, what I'm writing in my social media. Mm-hmm. Also, the way I dress my clients, mm-hmm. the way I pose my clients, the way I encourage them with my words while I'm shooting. All of these little things go back to my why. Um, I was talking to one of my coaching clients and she goes, I just don't understand why you would put a girl in a field in a sparkly dress with her horse. It makes no sense to me. And I was like, hello, have you seen what I do? That's my favorite thing to do in the world. Because for me, it's about creating magic. And it's about Mm -hmm. showing that magical feeling we feel deep down inside, even when life feels ordinary and boring and horrible. Yeah. And the fact that we can look at that portrait on the wall and we can feel that little sparkle inside of us, even when life really sucks. And that's rooted in things that happened in my past. And that's rooted in things that happened in my story. I would share deeper, but I'll start crying. And that's not <laughs> fun for podcasts. So that's rooted in my story and my journey. Even when my life really sucked and things were terrible, I could look at a photo on the wall and mm-hmm. I could remember that things weren't always so bad. Yeah. And for my coaching client, her story and her journey is rooted in the fact that her horse allowed her to be a child, even when the world forced her to grow up. Mm-hmm. So she puts her clients in jeans and t-shirt and they're barefoot, skipping around the field and riding their horse bareback in the pasture. Yeah. 
it makes no sense that she would put a sparkly dress on right, her client. Right. And we actually live in the same state. We work in the same barns. We are direct competitors of each other. But when she said to me, I don't under I didn't understand why you would accept me as a coaching client. And I just said, look, if I can help you find your why and speak to your unique people, mm-hmm. it makes both of us better. Right. Absolutely. And knowing that I can go into a barn and I can meet people and be like, this is not my client, but she needs them because mm-hmm. they are her clients. That's a cool feeling to have. Yeah. Absolutely. I love this. And I also want to just throw a little caveat in there too. If people are like, man, but I don't have some traumatic something background. Cause I, I feel like so many of these impactful things, um, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, my why was, cause obviously when you have something stressful happen, like the why becomes much clearer, much faster. It does. So if maybe there isn't some like, you know, trauma in your background or mm-hmm. something like that, it can be I think a little bit harder to dig it out, but it's still there. And all of your past experiences in your life still shape that why. And it's, I feel like it's also a lifelong process because I think it's kind of like your style, how your style, your photography style is kind For of sure. always on a constant evolution. I feel like your why is also on this bit of a, a regular kind of just a journey. It's a continued journey right. where you should always kind of be asking yourself, is like, why am I doing this? What is this for? What What is like, what gets me out of bed, like jumping out of bed in the morning? What is that passion piece? And, um, you know, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be photography related. Like my why is definitely more like natural world relationships with animals mm-hmm. of all kinds, whether they're domestic animals or, you know, protecting the natural world or wild animals, whatever. But it's, it's, and that's kind of rooted from my zoo background. And like, even as a kid, I, I never had dolls. I had 8,000 briar horses that I would like take out in the yard. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, so I, I think that's really keep journeying. important because I f- hear so many people say like, my why I want your animals don't live forever. I want to put them mm-hmm. on the wall. So what? Every single one of us can say that. And I hate to like pop people's bubble, but so what? Who cares? Mm -hmm. I can say that. You can say that. Everyone else can. Mm -hmm. But it's the reason behind why that matters. And it's not just about our photos. And I think that's people get so fixated on the photography. Why? It's not just the, it's our life. Mm -hmm. It is Mm -hmm. a compass that we use in our life in general. Um, And I love, I don't know if you've done the phone. Have you done the phone a friend exercise where you like call your friends and ask them, why they chose you as their friends. No. So this is a fun one. Um, It's like you call up five of your closest friends and you're like, Hey, I have to ask you a question. Just kind of go with me. Yeah. Why am I your friend? Why do you choose me to be your friend? Why do you choose me to hang out with? Why do you choose me to call? And you keep asking them over and over and over again in this weird way until (laughs) they say the words, you make me feel. And when they get to the, you make me feel, you get a really good insight into the way you make other people feel and relationships in your own life. And then you ask yourself, how does this relate to my why? And how does this translate to the way I'm treating my clients and what I'm doing for them as well in my process? And that one has been really helpful. Like I know my friends always call me when things are falling apart (laughs) and they need a good pep talk and they need to realize that they're things are okay. They can be okay. There is still that good inside Mm -hmm. of their life. 
That's when they call me. Yeah. That's my why. I help them find that little sparkle of hope, that little glistening of hope in there. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I hadn't heard of that exercise. And uh, I think, yeah, I think all of you guys out there should do that. Yeah. It's a really fantastic. Oh my gosh. Oh, this has been so, so good. I love this conversation. I feel like we can continue on for this conversation for like four more hours, <laughs> but in an interest of uh, brevity and <laughs> keeping this under an hour, we should probably start to wrap it up. I hope you guys have loved this conversation. We have absolutely loved being here with you and wanted to let you guys know that Corinda is actually going to be one of our incredible summit speakers uh, September 13th through 15th for Hair of the Dog Academy or Hair of the Dog Summit, number four, biggest and the best. Corinda, do you want to go ahead and let them give them a little sneak peek? Let them know what you're going to be talking about. Yeah. So I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, which is the secrets to the mythical five-figure clients. Ooh. Um, it's a big thing. And it's like literally a mythical creature in most people's heads. And <laughs> so I'm going to break down exactly what you need to look at to make sure that you have the ability to get there and to have those clients that are ready to invest tons of money with you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. And I know everybody out there is super excited for that too. So can't wait for that. In the meantime, if people want to find you online, let them know where they can follow you. Yeah. So um, you can find me on Instagram at Master Your Mind Money um, or on Facebook. I have a little group over there where I share business tips. It's Photography Business Tune Up with Corinda. Awesome. Oh my gosh. This has been so good. All right. Before we wrap up, maybe just one, if there could be, if we could sum up this conversation with one little piece of advice, what do you think, what do you recommend the photographers out there? I don't know. Is there an action that they could take after listening to this? Like they're going to hit stop here in a minute. What should they not pass go to do? Like what should they go do directly? <laughs> yeah. So I would say start to recognize your fears when they mm-hmm. creep up, especially when you have a fear around money. And when you feel that fear or that tightening or that weird icky sensation inside of you, write it down, get yeah. it out of your brain and really ask yourself is this really true? Or is this a story I'm telling myself? And I'm going to tell you that everything you write down is a story you're telling yourself. It's not true. Um, Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, And then ask yourself, what should this new story be in my head? And make yourself some new mantras. I know it's very woo-woo, but it works. Mm -hmm. And revisit those things. And when you feel those negative feelings and those negative thoughts pop into your head or you're driving to your reveal and you are freaking out because you're afraid nobody's going to want to spend thousands of dollars with you, start repeating those mantras. Say, people are excited and ready to invest thousands of dollars in my portraits. My art is worth thousands of dollars. People are happy to hand me their credit card and swipe it. Mm-hmm. And say those things over and over again. And at first, you're going to feel like such an imposter. You're going to feel like all of this is just total baloney. Yeah. And over time, believe it or not, your brain will actually rewire its patterns. And when you start to have that bad thought pop in, mm-hmm. your brain will kick in and say, no, Corinda, you were wrong. Mm-hmm. Actually, people are excited to spend thousands of dollars with you. And your brain will start catching itself. And all of a sudden, those negative thoughts will completely go away from your brain. I know it's crazy. It does. It really works. Um, 
you know, it's a journey. It's a long journey. It's something that I'm still working on every day in my business and in my personal life. But it's definitely something that can change your life. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm a huge believer in that. And I completely agree. The one uh, little tip as you're coming up with your mantras though, is to make sure that they're all stated in the positive and you're not using like any don'ts or won't because our our subconscious mind doesn't see that negative aspect to it. So we always want to write them in the form of, you know, the positive way. So like, people are excited to spend thousands of dollars with me (laughs) instead of something like, um, you know, people will no longer be afraid to spend thousands of money, dollars with me. Don't say that. (laughs) They're excited. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh oh my gosh. This has been so great. Again, thank you, Corinda. Um, You guys go follow her on social, see, um, you know, what she's up to, jump in her group and uh, also come back to learn all of these secrets of grabbing that mythical five-figure $10,000 sale during the summit. Grinda, thanks for being here with us today. Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Hair of the Dog podcast. This was episode number 153. If you want to check out the show notes for access to any of the resources that we mentioned, simply go to www.hairofthedogacademy.com slash 153. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hair of the Dog podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please take a minute to leave a review. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes. One last thing. If you are ready to dive into more resources, head over to our website at www.hairofthedogacademy.com.